regret it, run from it, destiny arrives all the same, and now here it is. Or should I say, I am. My name is Matthew Kroll. And it's heartening to see so many strange new faces here today. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically our 2018 top 10 films of last year. Yeah, it's 2019. Also, the way you said top just reminded me so much of The Departed. Top? Yeah, the way you said top. I don't think... Did I say top? You said top. No, I don't know. It's very Boston. Yeah, well, sometimes it slips (laughs) out. When I'm morning drunk. Morning drunk, nice. Uh, A little bit of whiskey in the coffee this morning. No, just uh, the fact that I was up very, very late. Uh, But that just, you know, it'll it'll add to the the whiz bag of the episode. Welcome to the top ten. This one's been a long time coming. It is now February. Some might say a whole year and some months. Yeah, because last year we did extend it out a little bit, and I think we're going to be paying for that for every year from now on. That is true. Um. So normally you would release your top 10 either in December or in January, but of course we don't like to do things the normal way, which is why we're going to do it in February. But that's just uh, because we'd like to get in a couple of extra films to to cram into our top 10, as did our listeners who will be chiming in later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who uh, I received an email at 3 a.m. this morning from a listener. A last minute, <laughs> a last minute sl- sliding it in. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very, uh, very pleased with those. Uh, and this listener did say that they were just trying to get some extra movies in. So I hope they weren't staying up till 3 a.m. to watch a movie to make sure it wasn't, it was in their list. That I kind of hope they were. Yeah. That's due diligence. That's due diligence. That's, that's that's true. But Matt, it is now 2018 or 2019. Yes, so we're going to be mixing that up all episode long. Yeah, we are. Uh, but we have one email from a listener uh, in response to our uh, separating art from the artist episode, uh, which was a fantastic episode, which came out last week. Um, I really enjoyed that conversation, as did Stephen, who wrote us in. Uh, for, and, and I've mentioned this before, but Stephen is from my hometown. I know Stephen personally. Um, and uh, this is about a piece of art that is in Wellington. City, which is where I am from, and which is where I will probably be when this episode is uh, is being broadcast. Oh yeah, you're going home. Yeah, yeah. So you're I'm, going home. I'm going to be in two dimensions, so to speak. Um, I'm here in New York at the time, and I'll be there in Wellington. Wow. Right two of me. Um, in Wellington, there is a bridge called the City to Sea Bridge, uh, which Stephen included a link to, which is a very lovely bridge. I do remember this bridge. Uh, Stephen says, I've always liked this bridge. It was a functional work of art that made me feel good when I was there. It was my often go-to place for more artistic, good views of the Wellington, of Wellington City. Then I did a story about how Paramachet, one of the artists behind uh, the bridge design, was charged with drugging and date raping a 29-year-old woman. Those charges were later dropped but he spent two and a half years in jail, convicted of sexually abusing a 15-year-old girl. Although he had, uh, he said the relationship was consensual. Now, I can't feel the same about the bridge. A place I once found creative and reflective feels unclean and conflicted, somehow made worse because of other people in that space, obviously enjoying it without knowing the context. It's the same uncomfortable feeling I have when uh, a children's sco- school shows uh, have kids bumping and grinding to a Michael Jackson tribute. The kids only know the music, the parents know the context, and the teachers, what were they thinking? Context changes everything. Uh, in, my, in my work, I meet a lot of artists in many fields. Some are pleasant and some are dicks. I find it much harder to, come, <laughs> to, to, work, uh, to cut someone, uh, someone else's work or art some slack if they personally are a dick to me. So I think Stephen's pointing out a few things there, which is that personal context matters. If you meet, I, Have you ever had this experience where a person whose art you love uh, you meet that person, and they're not a very pleasant person. And does it change your 
it I with a consciously, you know, like I'm not gonna watch this person's work anymore, or just unconsciously when you're watching that person, you're like, oh yeah, that guy. Oh yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. Uh, multiple times, honestly, in uh, you know, in professional settings too, when you when you're excited to get to work with someone who you've seen their stuff, and you're like, oh wow, this is mm-hmm. this is something special. They really know their stuff, and then they're a huge turd. Yeah, <laughs> it's disappointing, and yeah. it's. Uh, it's never a good feeling. Of course, what uh, what he's describing, um, especially, I mean, this is, oh, I mean, we're, we only deal with media, right, when we're talking about the art versus the artist, but fuck, man, you want to get into architecture and, like, city planning based on people that are shitheads? Yeah. Like, we wouldn't be able to live anywhere. Uh, it, it, there, there's a lot that, uh, what I'm saying is there's, uh, th- there's so many, uh, <laughs> well, I guess I, I see architecture as an art form as well. Right? I do too. I'm but... saying, I'm saying we normally in our purview of this show normally only discuss sort of media or, or, or films in particular. Right. I'm saying when we open the conversation of, and it should be, but I'm just mm-hmm. saying when that conversation opens from art versus artists into things that literally you step on in your life, like on a regular daily basis. Yeah. Uh, history is a terrifying nightmare. <laughs> yeah. And I think um, one of the things I think is that's interesting about this space that uh, that Stephen's mentioning is it's a public space. And, and for a lot of people who commute, you have to walk through it yeah. to get to uh, uh, to your place of business or whatever. So it's a place that you kind of have to deal with on a daily basis. And if you do know the context, it kind of changes the way you feel about it. Sure. Um, it's much in the same way that um, I think recently, uh, for example, there was a library at the uh, at USC that was named after Brian Singer and the students petitioned to <laughs> really? have Really? Yeah. No, well cuz Brian Singer is a prestigious alumni of USC. Um and uh the students have petitioned to have Brian Singer's name removed and Brian Singer himself agreed to have it removed. Uh he felt that it would Oh, be what the, a nice guy. It would be distracting to the students. Uh there's also a recent story about how Brian Singer stands to make about forty million dollars from uh Bohemian Rhapsody, so take that with what you will. Yeah. Uh moving on from uh not so uh <laughs> He'll make about two million from Red Sonia. Uh ten million. Is he's getting paid ten million dollars to make Red Sonia? Okay, so the full okay, let's 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 sidetrack onto Brian Singer for a second. We obviously discussed him at Last, some yeah. length uh well at some length in our Bohemian Rhapsody episode. Um, but in, interestingly, uh, there was a major, uh, major article from the Atlantic about, you know, all of his, um, uh, all of the things he has done. Um, but that did not deter the producers of Red Sonia from, you know, uh, agreeing to his hire for Red Sonia. Uh, and I believe the producer said something along the lines that he is a tremendous artist and Bohemian Rhapsody made a lot of money and therefore, uh, it's a no brainer for him. Um, it's interesting because the question I have from that in terms of, you know, like that is whatever it is, you know, that's people making business decisions, whatever. The question I have is, and, and my wife and I were talking about this was if you're a technician, uh, a craftsperson of some kind, say you're an art department, you know, stagehand, or you're a, uh, you know, you work in crafty or something like that. Sure. Would you take that job if that job was offered to you? Depends how hard up you were, and it depends on your yeah. moral level of of enragement, or or and there's a lot of different factors. Yeah, and uh, I, and I think that's an interesting question because now as 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 the general public, and I think this is why the the question of art versus artist is really interesting and, and powerful, is that you know like now you can make a choice, but of course 
economically, you might not be able to make that choice. If you're a person who's offered a job, you know, working on this film, um, you might just have to do that job because that is what is offered to you. Um, uh, interestingly, then I think people who have a little bit more economic flexibility, such as actors or, you know, what have you, might have a different calculus of choice. Which I would imagine the producer in the studio would, uh, uh, you know, I, I think, I, you know... The, I'm not. We we've seen Singer's movies. We know he can direct a film. That's never been in question. Uh, do I think that he is the only visionary genius that could bring the 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 brilliant light of Red Sonia to life? Uh, no. So I just think uh, they're and locked he, in, he, and they're locked in. There was one quote that I didn't. I forgot to mention during the Bohemian Rhapsody episode, but it was uh, Graham King, who was the producer of Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, who'd spent years trying to toiling to get that movie sure. made. And he, you know, he outwardly said, look, I know Brian Singer has, you know, issues around him, but I will never uh, forget that Brian Singer is the reason that movie got made, um, which is an interesting economic factor. And in, in that, you know, like having a, a, a name director with uh, with accolades behind them and a success rate, you know, which is being proven true with Bohemian Rhapsody, which is making a ton of money. Um, does that outweigh your moral obligation as a human being? Apparently, apparently so. Apparently so. Um, so it, it's anyway, an interesting one. Yeah. Go back and listen to our art versus artist uh, from last week uh, for more on this topic with the lovely uh, folks from Your Fave is Problematic. Yeah. Um, but moving on, it is time for our top ten of the year. Uh, Matt, what a we I we've had sort of fluctuating, undulating ground rules about this well, over the years. You which have you've broken them as well. Yeah. But then I admitted it and went back. You've just stood your ground. Well, what have I not admitted? Uh, well, you, well, you. No, okay, okay. I, I changed my answers. You doubled down on the fact that you need like three top threes or what? I don't remember the thing. <laughs> it was. I, don't, I don't think I ever did that. I think my thing was uh, was that I feel that the list is arbitrary, and I and I on all I said. Oh, that's right. Which offended, that's which seemed right. to offend that's you right. uh, right. to no end for some reason. Was that uh, these these choices are arbitrary and they could switch around. I don't. Know. I don't see what's what's uh, problematic but, but, with that. Well, I think the oh, oh, I remember this whole argument now, and I love that we get to have it over and over every year. Yeah. Uh, my thing is, if we're doing a top ten, yeah, we deserve uh, not. I'm sorry, not even we deserve. Uh, the people who take the time to listen to us deserve. Yeah. Uh, if we're saying we're doing a top ten list, yeah, that these need to be like a definitive for us top ten. And I think that the fact we were like, ah, eh, whatever, I'm just gonna put these wherever because they could go anywhere defeats the purpose, and therefore. Is like, well, that's kind of cheap. It, but is that what I said? Yeah. No, what I said was, this is the place I'm putting it, but it could easily be in other places. Right, but don't you get how that completely destroys the exercise? But don't you get how the exercise is arbitrary anyway? Yes, but don't you get that we're doing the arbitrary exercise? But don't you get that we're having the same argument that we had last time? I know, year? and they love it every time. <laughs> this is what people, this is what gets the people going. Yeah, uh, ball so hard. Um, but what are the ground rules? <laughs> if they the are, ground <laughs> rules are, we arbitrary make a top 10 list. Yeah. Uh, and we go from ten to one. We go as the as the episode goes. Also, it can only be films that we've reviewed. Yeah. On the show. Yeah. Uh, which it's funny. So this year, I was going through. I was trying to like. <laughs> I was doing my uh, <laughs> my in memoriam of films that I watched, mm -hmm. and I gotta say, ninety percent of them that are worth talking about, uh, we did on the show. Right. Uh, which nor other years I feel like I'd seen other ones where I was like, oh, I wish I could have done this, but right. we, we were, we were good. We were good little reviewers this year. I think there was a fairly, um, uh, a fairly strong 
consensus on what the films of the year are. Um, it, it, and it also that's in, in terms of the films that people sent us in as their top tens. Yes. Uh, they're fairly consistent across the board this year. Uh, no major outliers. Um, so I think that's that may be a trend of this year, which is that uh, I think we are we're coming into consensus of what the films of the year are, right? And that might just be because we, we've extended it out into February and that, that list is kind of crystallizing for a lot of people. Sure. Um, but that is one of my questions. What do you think the trends are of 2018? Uh, what, what do you think are uh, has been... I, well, I was trying to think, uh, one of the trends uh, which I'm thoroughly enjoying is the seeming death of the extended universes. Now, Marvel's isn't going anywhere. Uh, right. It's going to continue for a while unless they don't stick the landings of Avengers Endgame, and then we'll see what happens. But, uh, like, I mean, so many shared universes are either off the books now or just crumbling. Right, DC. E, uh, well, that's e, the only other one, right? Well, that's the, that's the other one. But then, like Dark Universe, they were trying to get that's off. That's com- coming back, by the way. It, it won't work. What? I, really? Yeah, I I don't think I've said this before in the podcast. Uh, I think culturally, there's only room for one sort of expanding shared universe. I think people you, you get that sort of itch off of them through that, right? And then go to other films for other experiences that Marvel definitely doesn't give them. I feel like it's it's. It's I until there's a, a a dueling shared universe as deep as Marvel. I don't know if there's in even in like the marketing budget and the space that we have in our brains to hear about films. Yeah, like it just doesn't. It I almost think there's just not enough room. So you you have D, the DC EU, which is like happening, but now they're doing like time splitting stuff, so it doesn't even matter. So it's not really an extended universe. You have um, the Dark Universe, which apparently is coming back. Great, which is being um, uh, shipped by Jason. And Bloom now. Okay, well, so, and Blumhouse is uh, is kind of taking the reins. Of so, that are way. they getting rid of the Mummy, and they're getting rid of the I first think, Dracula movie, and they're getting rid of? Well, they never did any of those, so they only did. Yeah, they did the first Dracula. They weren't part of the the Dark Universe. Dracula so. Untold didn't have the didn't have the front cover thing on yeah. it, but it was always meant to be the first one. And then when that one bombed, they just kind of shelved it off to the side. So. Uh, yeah, the mummy was the like the first official with of the, the dark. with the logo of the dark world. Yeah, yeah, so I think they're. I'm not sure if they're abandoning that, but they've they've, they've definitely they're moving away from you know, there was that famous cast photo that they have with Javier Bardem, Johnny Depp, yeah. and Tom Cruise. I think they're moving away from that, but they're still doing the banner of the dark universe. Lee Wannell has been brought in to direct it. Who directed um, all of them? Uh, he's directing the I believe it's the Invisible Man is the first one that uh, he's okay. doing. Um, and he directed Upgrade this year, yep. and uh, he was one half of the Saw team. Um, so I, I'm not exactly sure, but it, it's certainly, you know, they're still punching for that dark universe. Tran- Transformers is recalibrating itself, yeah. uh, but they don't even know. The Transformers didn't even know when they made Bumblebee what Transformers was going to turn into or what it was go- like. Is it a reboot, a sequel, a prequel? That's not, that's not really a shared universe, though, is it? That's... Uh, that's- that's like a single franchise. The idea was always to have the Hasbro shared universe, and it never coagulated because they couldn't get the Transformers thing solid enough. What 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 would it share it with? Uh, like, GI Joe. Um, GI Joe is going to be part of. Yeah, Transformers? they have a long history in the comic books to have GI Joe and Transformers crossover. Hmm. Uh, and then, of course, which this is a weirdly interesting one too, which I would never call this a shared universe. Kind of until uh, the Fantastic Beast films. Okay. But Harry Potter 
uh, Warner Brothers has been trying to after the after the the series proper ended with Fantastic Beasts now and the second one, which the first one did great. The second one is making okay money, but definitely not Harry Potter money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I think that they I think they originally had five films for this, and now it's slated to wrap it up in in one more. Oh really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I think uh, again, I I will be interested to see if my prediction uh, stands true. But I think this was the year. Uh, of the beginning of the end of most shared universes. Okay. Uh, what about you? What's what's what uh what themes? I would say 2018 was brought to you by the letter B for one, which was that a lot of B movies came like a lot of movies starting with the letter B came Not out. B like no, as no, no, in like no, no a lot schlock. of movies, like if Beale Street could talk, the Battle of Buster Scruggs, Burning. Um, I had a few more of these here. Uh, Bad Stanford Tree reviewed. Um, I just saw a lot of B movies, but uh, I think for me the the interesting trend uh, that was. Uh, of note in popular cinema was the the prevalence of the anti-narrative film. So films that that were decidedly unsatisfying, but purposely unsatisfying. And the two that I point to there is You Were Never Really Here or and Burning. I also think the, the Battle of the Buster Scruggs did that as well. Um, and, For like 60% of it. Yeah, and I think so there was an interesting trend where filmmakers, uh, I believe, uh, and even... I guess even to an extent, uh, First Man doesn't quite do this, but First Man kind of felt like that a little bit as well. But I think there was... He makes it to the moon. No, he makes it to the moon, but there's a... Yeah, right, without spoilers for First Man. Uh, I think, to me, that was just sort of an interesting trend to note. And and for me, the strongest one of that was You Were Never Really Here, which goes out of its way to be anti-traditional narrative, which is that it structures itself around giving not giving you the satisfaction of the things you would think you would want. Um, and there were a couple other films like that this year. So that was sort of an interesting note for me, just to, just to looking through and seeing what I could see. There's also the rise of, uh, I think, uh, we, we've sort of talked about this every couple of years, but Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, Netflix and Amazon Prime are now major players in the award season, major buyers. Uh, I think they're going to continue to be uh, major uh, holders of popular film now. Netflix spent around $8 billion on their content this year, and uh, they beat HBO in Emmy noms. They got yeah. 112. Yeah, and they may be gunning towards their first Best Picture nom this year. No. Uh, Best Picture win. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, and also, I think next year Apple TV will come out, which has a billion dollar spend as well. Um, what do you mean Apple TV will come out? A- Apple is launching a TV network. Um, and so they're producing content now as well, and they may move into the movie space as oh. well. So Sundance just happened, and, and, and there was a lot of buyers there. And uh, and Disney, can't forget Disney streaming yeah. that's going to come and disrupt the, the yeah. cycle. Yeah, so uh, it's all, it, it's uh, the, the, the distribution models are all changing. Theaters are pissed off, as they always will be. Um, and uh, we will see how that plays out in 2019. Uh, Matt, my second question for you before we jump into our top 10. What was the favorite film I mean you've kind of already answered this but what were the favorite things you saw that we didn't review that were on there wasn't a ton uh, but I will say both uh, although these might have come out, nope, these might have been in, uh, in 2019. Never mind. I was no, going to no, say the. That's fr- right. I was going to say the the Fry documentaries. 
the fire documentary. Oh, yeah, I keep saying fry. I always call it fry festival. I don't know why. The fire documentaries. Yeah. Uh, both of them were so different from one another and uh, so interesting. I it and kinda... so problematic in each their own yeah, ways. I just, I just, I just, I haven't watched the Hulu one. I've watched the Netflix one. Yeah. Um, but it's the... funny. The Hulu one will, I think. I don't want to spoil anything for you, but the Hulu one will fix all of the problems you have with the Netflix one while having its own gaping problems that the Netflix one fixes. Like in the narrative in your brain right 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 uh it's very strange to see two dueling documentaries with two different tones and two different sort of points of view right uh which i found the exercise great but if i did have to nope this was in 2019 too what was that i was gonna say i i think uh again escape room right you keep coming back to escape Room. it was fun and stupid and fun but was it worth is it worth like having a conversation about i i mean i it's worth no, no, but what it is worth is seeing. I mean, right. uh, I don't think you have to have a deep philosophical or even uh, any sort of meaningful conversation. Other than, although I did have a forty-five minute conversation with uh, a great friend of the show, Chelsea White's, uh, w- uh, during our walk back from the theater. Right. Uh, we and we talked about like what happened and how we enjoyed it. And, like, what about this plot hole and like all that. Like, I don't think it's worth deconstructing. But it definitely, you know, if you're uh, with like-minded people who enjoy just fun, irreverent cinema, like, yeah. So that's not me, obviously. You would hate it. (laughs) Really? You would hate that movie so hard. Why would I hate it? it? Because it says nothing. I don't think I hate movies that say nothing. I hate movies that don't know what they're saying. This movie knows it's saying nothing. Okay. So you're that, okay with that? I'm okay with that. All right, I'm going to yeah. bank that for later. What about you? What about what uh uh the two so the, the two movies that uh came out last year that I uh abs- well actually there's three, four. Well, I'm looking at it now. Uh four movies that came out last year that I wished we'd reviewed but we didn't uh and would have definitely b- uh, been contenders on a, on my top 10 list were The Kindergarten Teacher. Uh, which is on Netflix, a uh, very little scene film, but uh, starring Maggie Gyllenhaal about uh, a kindergarten teacher in Long Island, I believe, or Staten Island, um, who takes a particular shine to uh, a child in her class. Uh, and um, it uh, slowly goes off the rails from there. It's an extraordinary film with an extraordinary performance from a young, from a young child. Um, and Tully. I absolutely loved Tully, which uh, came out sort of mid-year, um, uh, with Charlize Theron playing a mother who um, is overwhelmed by the birth of their third child, uh, directed by Jason Reitman, mm. uh, who is now going to be doing the Ghostbusters reboot next. Um, so, uh, official reboot? Yeah, their official reboot. Okay. Jason Reitman is also the son of Ivan Reitman, who directed the original Ghostbusters. Nice. Um, and uh, Tully kind of blew my mind, because uh, Jason Reitman, you know, the last Jason Reitman movie I saw of his was Labor Day, which I wasn't a big fan of. Um, That's not in the <laughs> in the in the no, holiday. It's, it's not the series. holiday series. It's not Valentine's Day. It's uh, it's got Josh Brolin or New Year's with. Eve. No, it's not that. <laughs> uh, I forget the director who did that. They do a, they do a great impression of him on Comedy Bang Bang. I keep forgetting his name. He uh, he came up on Happy Days. Um, someone can write us in at onlymoviepodcast <laughs> at gmail.com with your Comedy Bang Bang um, uh, info. Uh, but Tully really blew my mind. Um, in terms of, I just was not expecting it to be that good. Uh, it really, really, uh, is terrific. Um, and then, uh, I spoke about it on our, uh, separating art from the artist review, but Nanette, I think is one of the most incredible pieces of, uh, the incredible standups I've seen this year. Yeah, but that's not a movie. 
Um, I was going to have that conversation uh, when we got to, if we ever got to review it, because I do think stand-ups can be movies. And I think... Well, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, that, 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 is a, that is a broader conversation, and it's one I'm sort of 50-50 on. Okay. Uh, but Nanette was, I, I think, one of the, the singular, most singular important experiences I'd had this year. It's weird. I would have put that in the, one of your coming-up <laughs> questions about the best TV you watched this year, which, again, it's, it's, I would say that <laughs> comedy stand-up specials are closer to TV shows than they are films, considering they are not uh, normally seen... the length of a film nor ever released in a theater. They can be the length of the film, and I have seen, I have seen stand-up specials in theaters. Yeah, but like from like Fathom special events and things. It's no, no, I've like, seen like uh, I remember uh, Eddie Murphy's. Uh, Kevin uh, Hart did one too, yeah, but like, they also do it. like actual film pieces, sort of around it. Right. I. I it's a, it's an, saying, oh, it's an open question. I love Nanette. Mm. I yeah. think Nanette is was amazing. It yeah. is not a film, especially from the criteria that you've said things weren't. You said told me Jurassic World wasn't a film. Uh, that's more of a that's more a philosophical question about okay. it not being a film. That's so not you're, that's you're, not a technical. So question. you're using philosophical as as a as a cipher for just like yeah, however you feel about it. Yeah, I guess I guess the way I'm phrasing Jurassic World is I didn't I I don't think it functions very well. Right, but it's still a film. That was my whole thing. Right. Okay. Is, is, to... is that you need that to semantically understand that argument? Well, I think if you said which of these is a film, Jurassic World or the stand-up special Nanette, most people in the world would say Jurassic World is a film. Okay. Um, uh, so yeah. I'm just I'm going off of what I assume the majority is. Okay. All right. Uh, I think it's an interesting question. Uh, and then the other one was First Reformed. Uh, Ooh, Paul what's Sh- that? Uh, Paul Schrader's film. I'm not familiar. Uh, Ethan Hawke Ooh. playing a priest. Okay. Um, who loses his faith? Um, set in upstate New York, it's uh, it was touted very highly to be an Oscar nom for uh, for Ethan Hawke and and uh, it was good. It's very good. It's nice. very very good. Uh, uh, Paul Schrader is someone who's kind of been making, I would say, B and C movies for a long time, but is obviously an incredibly talented man. Not just the naming, <laughs> not just of not, the film. Yeah, yeah. He's just an incredibly incredibly talented uh, human being. Uh, he wrote Taxi Driver famously ah. and um, uh, Mamishma. Uh, the Japanese four-part uh, symphony is extraordinary writer. Uh, he wrote this book that I haven't read yet, but transcendentalism in film. Transcendentalism. No, trans. How? Oh, wow. Well, no, let's do it. We got Tran- it. We-, Tran- we can do it. Transcendentalism. Transcendentalism. That's transcendentalism, what it is. You win. Yeah, in film. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so uh, first reformed uh, was extraordinary and kind of uh, re- yeah, it was very. A lot of people were very surprised that didn't get an Oscar nom this year. Um, yeah, so those were my picks of things to see. Um, and your other questions that I just wanted to, we don't have to go on it yeah. at all for, for long. Um, uh, oh, actually, no, even before that, I would like, so the movies that I missed yeah. this year, um, I missed Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, I saw I, that. I missed it. I wanted to see it real bad. Dang. Old Man with a Gun. Yep. Missed that. Uh, the Hate You Bring. I really mm. wanted to see that. I mm. never got to see that. Incredibles 2, Aquaman, and Bumblebee. All Whoa. things I was like, yeah. pseudo interested in seeing. Didn't see them. Yeah. Uh, Th- those are the factors of time, though, right? Like, yeah. Like, it's not like you were out of your way missing No, them. no, no. It's just, those, it's just those are the films I did not get to. Right. Um, and, of course, thanks to the miracle of technology, I can go back and see every one of those. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I was sad. I was sad to have not caught those. Okay. Uh, the thing I think I'm most sad to have not... Ooh, I had I had that written down, but I don't... I don't have it in front of me now. There's probably a, there's probably a bunch of films I didn't see this year. I think uh, Private Life on Netflix is one that I've I uh, the Tamara Jenkins film which I haven't seen. 
And The Hate You Give, I really wanted to see. Blind Spotting is another uh, one that yep. I didn't see that I really, really wanted to see. Um, there's probably a bunch of things that our listeners will call out that I uh, haven't seen yet. Um, and the last thing was, <laughs> at least on your list as far as I remember, is uh, TV shows, best TV stuff. Yeah, what was the best TV stuff that you saw? Or uh, best, best episodic? Yeah. Uh, I would say uh, for your for your comedy and your feels, uh, Good Place season four and Superstore season four. Oh yeah, are I watched Superstore season one this year. They are a delight. I uh, also, for different reasons. Yeah, I Good Place. I really really like it. I I found once they did the switch in season two, there was something in my brain that got a little tired in terms of like, are we gonna do this all again now? You know what I mean? And I I know it's good. I've heard it's great. I just I just have to get over that hump in my brain. Yeah, I think once you hit season three, you, you'll be a okay. Yeah, uh, Westworld season two, uh, I dug a lot. Was that this year? Yeah, early. Oh wow, it was April or yeah. May or I'm uh, not March. Uh, Sharp Objects, I'm still in the middle of, but yeah, ooh, that's good. Uh, End of the fucking world. Yep, on Netflix. Yep, I've seen two um, episodes of that. And also, uh, Marvelous Miss Maisel season two and Glow season two were okay. phenomenal. Uh, and then finally, final shout out to something that turned a frown upside down. Yeah, uh, Castlevania season two on Netflix. The yeah. the anime, which is done all in Adobe Animate. Okay, which is insane to me. Uh, it's basically like a flash animation. Right, right, right. Um. That so that series had a uh, first uh, you know the first ep- series uh, season was four episodes and yeah. it was fine, and then they took it and they just like made it like intriguing and ran with it. Yeah, and it has a definitive ending and it's like it it it's I don't know it was very very good. I mean I'm so far behind that I still haven't watched Cowboy Bebop yet. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> definitely watch Bebop first. I might be a little bit uh, far behind, but I, I'm curious to check it out. Uh, I'm also uh, a friend of mine is really into the Voltron series on Netflix. I heard that was good as good, well, which was uh, really interesting. I think for me uh, the two were uh, Haunting on Hell House, which I oh, yeah. which I, I absolutely loved, and uh, one that again another one that I wish we'd kind of reviewed on the show was Wild Wild Country. Um, but we didn't quite get to that either. But uh, those were those were really really great. I think both had kind of unusually soft endings. Uh, not to give too much away, but 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 very very worthwhile and very exciting from two two new filmmakers or not new but new relatively relatively new new to you new to me. Um, so let's move on to our top team. Dun, 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 dun. Who, who wants to go first? Do you want to flip a coin or how? Do uh, you go first. All right, my top ten. My number 10 on my top 10 is a film that I was a little surprised by. Mission Impossible Fallout. Oh! Mission Impossible Fallout. I think I have been uh, uh, lackadaisical on the on the Mission Impossible series uh, since part three. I've not been that enthused by those. Um, I think the last two I've kind of just, you know, pretty much forgotten uh, pretty, pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, the fourth one surprised the hell out of me in terms of like bringing back um, a sense of high stakes to the whole thing. Well, apparently you can't fight the friction, as yeah. Imagine Dragons would say. Yeah. And I can't argue with it. That movie, to be honest, that was my, if we continue this uh, list down the line, was my number 11. Oh, uh, wow. Didn't, make, didn't crack your top it 10. Didn't crack my top 10, no. There you go. Uh, but it, uh, it, yeah, it's so fun. I saw it twice in the theater. Yeah. Uh, I, I both times visibly cheered during the moment uh, where uh, Henry Cavill's arm should have the reload sound effect and yeah. don't in the bathroom. That bathroom fight is amazing. Uh, it's just 
just a good action movie. Yeah, it is a really, really. It, it kind of what it reminds me of is oddly of Jackie Chan films, where the yeah. the, the central character has this sort of physicality to them that you're just kind of in awe of. Yeah. Um. And and the movie is so tactile. I think in a world where you know we've we've talked about this at, at length, but you know CGI fight scenes and CGI building destructions and things. Yeah. Uh, in a in a, the film feels so tactile, real, and grounded. And they this is obviously a product of the marketing as well. But that's part of the enjoyment of seeing it is yeah. you know like is is seeing real things happen on screen and and how you know like how uh, terrifying seeing one person hanging off a ledge can be if it feels real versus seeing a thousand people hanging off a ledge in a CGI world. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because one's real and one's yeah. not. And, yeah. and like, there's no... Well, actually, uh, I was going to say, currently, we can't make it seem real, uh, which is true to a point Uncanny Valley. But did you see... This is a bit of a tangent, and I apologize. Did you see the the the, the deep fakes thing of Steve Buscemi's yeah, face that's on, incredible. on uh, Jennifer Lawrence's acceptance speech? I, I was... I, I think that was, the for me, that was a um, turning point where I was like, the world has changed as far as you know, because that... Because uh, as far as I know, that deep fake was done. Is it done algorithmically yes. or is it done by hand? It's uh, uh, kind of both. Right. Like 80% algorithmically then tweaked. Yeah, because because my uh, my wife came into the room while I was watching it and she was like, oh, who is that? I can't quite figure out who that is. As in, she didn't quite get that that was not a, uh, you know, like that was a composite person. So for those of you who aren't familiar with it, uh, uh, they combined uh, using uh, digital technology, Steve Buscemi's face, and put it on Jennifer Lawrence's acceptance speech from forever ago. Yeah. And... I need to see it. Here's the thing. I need to see it not on my phone. I need mm. to see it like actually yeah. on an actual screen in HD to see if the fake really holds. Yeah. Like I feel like the compression does definitely help it. Yeah. But it is good. It's very good. Uh, so maybe but if they can make but it's disturbing. Yeah. But yeah. if they can make use that technology to make uh CGI fight scenes somehow feel more real with actual actors doing things that they can't actually do, uh maybe one hmm. day we'll uh we'll feel the same rush that we did for Mission Impossible Fallout. Also I wouldn't have connected those two things like that well no because we talked about how uh you know the reason that that movie is so visceral is because you realize you know that he's doing these yeah. things and i'm saying current cg feels flat because we know that it's not the real person doing it but if it ever gets to the point where we can't actually tell the difference and the marketing lies to us we'll yeah. feel that way the other thing i just want to shout out for mission impossible is the score which i've been listening to a lot uh by lauren balf i think is one of the best mission impossible scores i've heard in a long time so ever since you too did their <laughs> did their version of it wow uh, Matt, what is your number 10? My number 10 is just in it for the lols. No, it's not, but that almost makes sense. Ralph Breaks the Internet is uh, my number choice. 10. Very, very good choice. Uh, that movie was a movie that I could not shut up about. Um, <laughs> and to the point it's where... you host a movie podcast. I know. Well, no, outside of the movie podcast. Uh, I was over at Jamie's place, and I, I, I believe like on multiple different occasions... Um, <laughs> I I kept bringing up Ralph breaks the internet to her roommates, and by the end of it, I could just see it in there. They were very polite, yeah. Uh, but they were just like, "Shut the fuck!" <laughs> <laughs> uh, it 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 hit me in all the feels. I think it was a good moral lesson for a lot of the things that are going on in our current society right now, wrapped in. Uh, granted, a very saccharine take of the internet, but if you're marketing towards kids with jokes and lessons that you want adults to kind of see as well, I think it was done uh, very, very well. And um, I think it was we and uh, weirdly an important film, despite the fact it was wrapped up in a Wreck-It Ralph uh, well, wrapper. 
Wreck It Ralph. I mean, I even thought Wreck It Ralph was great. So uh, I guess the I guess maybe that's the that's the thing. Wreck It Ralph has the potentiality now to be a Toy Story. You know, like Toy Story managed to up itself every time. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see if Wreck It Ralph can continue that tradition because I think the first one was great. And I think the second one was great. I think the second one is better. The second one is better. Yeah. So uh, but again, it'd be hard to have the second one without knowing all the stuff you kind of know from the first one to have it. I mean, you'd get the generalness of it, but the emotion take on the characters you need. Okay. Uh, is this where we're going to be reading somebody else's out? No, we got one more. We got well, number nine. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll we're going to interject with uh, other people's top tens as we go along. Uh, my number nine, uh, and this is unfair because you didn't see this film, uh, was You Were Never Really Here. But we did review it on the podcast. We did, yes. We did review it Which on the podcast. Which is fine. I, I still have, I don't know how much I have to say. About no, I, I, I don't think you have to, a lot to say about it because you haven't seen it. But it is available on Amazon Prime, so you can watch it uh, oh. right now. It is, uh, and shot in this neighborhood uh, that we're uh, currently sitting in. Um, but I think this is a film that challenged me in a way that uh, other films didn't do this year. And I think it was part of that that discussion of anti-narrative, uh, You Were Never Really Here by Lynn Ranzi, starring Joaquin Phoenix. Um, there, is a, there is a couple of extraordinary moments in this film where I felt like I knew what this film was going to do, and then it just did 180 degrees the opposite of that. Yeah. Uh, and and in, a, in many ways, it did the thing that was the least satisfying uh, that it could be for the situation that it was creating. But it was doing that to illustrate the point that the thing that we thought would be most satisfying is the destruction of the people involved. Mm-hmm. And and it and it doesn't do that. Um, so it was kind of a, a sort of very... Um, I guess the word you would call... Would be, this makes it sound pedantic, but ethically conservative film... Um, because it has got the, at the forefront of it, it has got a, a sincere care for the people that are involved in the story that it's telling. Um, and it's, it, yeah, so uh, for, for that, in terms of films that I came back to a lot in my mind this year, that was one of them. Um, I haven't rewatched it since that first watch. Um, but it safely sat with me the entire year, and we re- reviewed that fairly, fairly early. I think Brendan McCarthy was the yep. from the No Fucking ZD podcast which yeah. I guess, on that episode. So not a lot you can say about that. No, one, no, uh, it is nice to hear mm. that it's sort of the antithesis of the sort of action revenge film. Mm. Uh, would you say mm. that the polar opposite of mm. that film uh, would be like John Wick? Yes. Okay. Yes, very and, much so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, my number nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was excited for, didn't have high hopes for, mm-hmm. and then it it swung me around a bit. Uh, that would be the bad times at the El Royale. Ah, bad times at El Royale. Uh, that movie, I am very much looking forward to going back to it. In fact, I I was <laughs> when it, after I saw it multiple times, I kept checking uh, if I could buy the the Blu-ray. Right. Um, so you've but, seen it twice, or uh, no, I've only seen it once. Oh, okay. I thought you said after I saw it multiple times. No, no, times. no. Uh, I've wanted to see it multiple times. Mm. Uh, and I kept checking to see if the Blu-ray was available, say, on like, Amazon. But they do that thing now, which is really annoying, where they don't actually let you pre-order Blu-rays anymore. Oh, really? Because they want you to buy it from their streaming service. Oh, okay. Which is annoying, and I will never do. Um, but uh, Bad Times the Royale uh, was sort of... <laughs> Perfectly imperfect, in right, my yeah. opinion. We we had a we had a few issues with this. Film, it was yeah oh yeah it yeah. was it was dirty. Some parts were sloppy. Some parts were rushed. Some parts were too long. But again, it was one of the films this year that actually like 
stuck with me and I found myself sort of daydreaming about the sections of Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out like, oh, well, like, did this happen because of this or did like, you know, Chris Hemsworth, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I still don't know yet if it's because the filmmaking was sloppy in parts or they just left things open to interpretation or if it was actually so good that I it was uh, I was catching things uh, subconsciously. Uh, I'm looking forward to going back and seeing it again and maybe that would uh, taint that on this list, but I feel like it's low enough where I'm okay with it. I, I think, you know, the interesting thing about that is I do remember the issue, the, the primary issue that we had with that film. But I do, I think when I think about it, I think about the good times I had at the El Royale, which had to do <laughs> with uh, a couple of things. One is the 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 opening 30 minutes of that yep. movie uh, with John Hamm kind of discovering the way the hotel works is just some of the best filmmaking this year. Um, and the second is Cynthia Arrivio, uh, yeah. who is uh, probably an MVP for me this year. Um, Widows, baby. Yeah, which uh, is just, she was just such an extraordinary screen performance. And I think that was a great example of that. Um, I did have issues with that film enough to like not name it as my top, you know, in my top ten. But I did, I did, for for all of its problems, I did enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. There you go. All right. No, so now we're doing now the... we're doing Laura's yeah. email. Laura from Australia, uh, and I, I might have passed through Australia at this point. I'm going on. A, I'm going on a little bit of a trip this year, uh, as these are being released. But are you just going to visit all of our fans? Oh, I don't think Laura is going to be in the place that I'm going to. I'm just saying, every time you're like, oh, I've been there, I'm going there. And I'm like, are you, is this your road trip? Is this what you're doing? You're literally going to go to everyone who listens to us's house? Oh, you know, what was that uh, Jay and Silent Bob strike back where they go and visit all the commentators (laughs) on the internet? That's getting rebooted. Yeah. Uh, Cool, right? I guess. (laughs) I'm not sure why that's being rebooted, but. Fuck it. I liked the first one. If he can do it again, great. Jay and Silent Bob or Clerks? Uh, Both. Uh, I I wasn't a fan of Jay and Silent Bob. I, think, I, I like Clerks a lot. I think yeah. Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back hit at the exact right time it should have, and yeah. I don't think it la- it, it's, it doesn't stand the test of time. But if he can do something like that, having that same effect and that same timeliness for now, yeah. then rock and roll. All right, here are the top tens from Laura. Uh, again, thank you, Laura, for writing in with these. Uh, I'm just I'm gonna read them out, and uh, but this one uh, requires some context. Uh, number ten. I know it doesn't really count as a film. But Litterbox counts, so I'm going to go with it. Shop Objects was amazing. Oh. And some of Amy Adams' five works. Uh, interesting story and such a great ending. Now, I haven't seen the ending, so don't spoil it for me. So, I haven't uh, either. But uh, Laura apparently goes to the Shahir school of breaking all the rules uh, when it comes to these lists. No, okay. You seem very bitter about that. I just like fighting about it. Okay, all right. Um, Sharp Objects uh, is something I've seen the first episode, but uh, I've seen like one or two episodes. I think I'm three in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, her number, and I'm just going to read them from here on in. Number nine is First Man. Number eight is Eighth Grade. Good placing. <laughs> Number seven, Paddington Two, which I am dying to see, but I can only see with my three year old because we've seen we watched Paddington together, so I can't watch Paddington Two. What a what him. a shitty father you would be if you just went and saw Paddington Two by I yourself. Know, see, that's the thing. I can't I can't go and watch it by myself, <laughs> or I can't watch it by myself. Number six, Widows. Uh, number five, You Were Never Really Here. Number four, Hereditary. Number three, Into the Spider Verse. Number two, Roma. And I'm going to read out their note about uh, Laura's note about her number one, which is the favorite. Uh, I think uh, I must just be the demographic for this film uh yep 
<laughs> I was just gonna I was gonna make some Joel a joke about being a Downton Abbey fan or something like that, but uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't ask to be uh, to be catered towards me anymore. The dark humor, the three leading ladies, the romance, uh, the romance, the romance, um, the romance, and the games between them. I just can't get enough. I actually quite enjoyed a toned down Yargos Lanthimos, and I really liked the way the story played out too. The script, uh, the script's origin was such a surprise to me. Endlessly entertaining and quotable, fun cinematography and Rachel Weiss in extravagant shooting attire and throwing books at Emma Stone. Don't even get me started on Olivia Coleman. Oscars for all of it. It was. Would you say it was one of your top romances? It was, it was one of my top romances. I was. I was looking at her number two, which was Roma. I was playing off the fact that I fucked up the word top. Or I, I didn't say you fucked up the word. It just sounded very Boston. I know. So I was like tap romances. Yeah, yeah. That's my accent. Uh, great list. Uh, nothing. Uh, and great list. Nothing surprising in there. Other than sharp objects, I guess. Um, no, I mean, I think Paddington. I know I heard good. No, things Paddington about it. has gotten a lot of uh, love. But uh, that is, if again, I don't. But uh, I don't want to say surprising is that I don't think it belongs there. I think surprising is in like, oh yeah, like I didn't remember that, and that was something that a lot of people. Have you seen Paddington too? No, I haven't seen it, but uh, I've just heard a lot of people say that it is the feel good movie of the year. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm excited to see that, but I, I have to watch it with my. <laughs> Did the Winnie the Pooh movie come out? Uh, well, Christopher it's, Robin. Christopher Robin. It did. It, it came did. And went? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Uh, but Christopher Robin is not like an out and out Winnie the Pooh movie. It's about the the child. I, I just was curious if that came out yet. It kind of came and yeah. went, and I forgot about. Yeah, it did. It, it, uh, it went away pretty quickly. All right. Thank you, Laura. I Thank appreciate, you, Laura. Uh, appreciate that. And uh, moving on. Should hear your number eight. My number eight is a film that was mentioned by Laura in her number six position, and that is Steve McQueen's Widows. Uh, that was a film I uh, just thoroughly, uh, thoroughly enjoyed, and I think had uh, a lot more going on under the surface than, uh, despite the fact that it's kind of an action thriller, um, a movie that had multitudes of layers, again, featuring my MVP of the year, Cynthia Arrivio, um, who I think should be cast as the new Bat person. Uh, they are looking for a new Bat person, by the way, a Batman, yeah. but I think yep. she should be it. Um, and I, I think this was... Uh, a one of the best heist films I've seen in years, uh, and B just the surprise. Steve McQueen, you know, the director of Twelve Years a Slave and Shame and uh, uh, Hunger, moving to uh, a genre piece just shows that he is almost limitless in the things he could do. I could imagine him making any kind of film and making it exciting and wonderful. This had this, you know, the, the reason why it's placed number eight. There was a couple of things in it that I think didn't work. Uh, but such a wonderful experience. Um, so glad to have seen it in theater. Wished I'd watched it a couple more times in the theater, to be honest with you. The only reason it didn't make it on my top ten uh, was that I lost a dollar bet. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> no, I think that movie was great. It didn't make it on my top ten, but it was very close. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, there's there's literally nothing. I had so much fun while seeing that. Um, it. I think one of the, uh, to be honest, the reason why it didn't crack my top is after the podcast, I didn't really think about it again. Okay. Uh, and that's what you're going to find. This year, I have a lot of like sort of introspection with my choices, I think. Yeah. And it's the f and the ones that made my list are the ones that sort of something about it stuck with me. And while Widows, hmm. while I was there, I was in it. Yeah. 
uh, and I loved talking about it. I think there's a lot to talk about about it. It didn't come up naturally for me in my brain or in conversations, and I think that's the only reason why it didn't. I mean, that's what a top ten list kind of is, right? It's not really like... That's why I mean when it's arbitrary. It's like, what's the ones that stuck with you? Right, but that's not arbitrary. That's Mm -hmm. what your top ten list is. Right, okay. Um, You have this thing about math, which is that you think math is finite, right? I mean, I do think it is, and but, but math- I, don't, I don't think that our opinions are necessarily finite, but I think you have to do things in the context of the rules that you say you're doing them. Okay. Right. Um, anyway. What, what was your number eight then? My what was your eight, 10 minus two? Uh, Laura, I'm so sorry, uh, was the favorite. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh <laughs> That's not. That's not. Why are you sorry about that? Well, it's uh, it's someone's number one. That doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's it's still on your top. Uh, it's still on your top course, ten, which means you liked it. Yes, of course. Oh, I loved it. It yeah. was so. It was such a look. I love ninety six, ninety four percent of the lobster. Okay, um, this is that math thing. Again, yeah. Right? yeah. Um, and uh, I was so happy to get. A film like The Favorite now that I really enjoyed a hundred percent of it. Right. Um, I feel like it all worked together. Like, I mean, I don't want to go into it too much because Laura summed up the amazingness of it already. Yeah. Um. I just I was giddily uncomfortable the entire time I watched that right. movie, and I've thought about like particularly. You know what scene comes back to me a lot? Yeah. Is the very end where it's not a spoiler? I don't think so. Uh, but where when a character is stepping on a rabbit, okay, and that's not now because I didn't say who's doing what when, but the the uh, that that bit for multiple reasons comes back to me, and that's sort of my spiral point of like, oh, there was this, and I'm like, well, what about oh, well, this, that, and the other, and like, you know, no spoilers, no spoilers, but it it's it's a it's a touch point. Where it spirals me back into thinking about uh, the film and my experience with it. You know what one of my favorite movies of all time is? Is The Talented Mr. Ripley. Mm -hmm. And The Favorite reminded me so much of The Talented Mr. Ripley um, in ways... Because it's about people vying for one person's affections and changing their moral moral compass in order to do so. Um, and, And I think... You know, like the talented Mr. Ripley is a high watermark for me, and I think the I, I would argue the favorite is it might actually be a better film, uh, probably in hindsight. It, but it, it's I it's an extraordinary movie. It's an incredibly relatable genre, and mm-hmm. by that I mean we've all been in positions in our lives at you some mean, point. You mean being in the queen? <laughs> in, of course, <laughs> being with the queen. Yeah. No. yeah. But you, when you when you say genre, that's what I'm, I'm saying. Yeah. But like genre, I'm saying of like the between that and the talented Mr. Ripley, where mm-hmm. it's sort of like. Here's two people that have a great relationship with one another, and then someone else comes along, right? And is like better, and then the first person is a little bit jealous. I mean, I've been in situations much less intense than these films. Friendship triangles, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, well, what about me? Like, there's, and I've also, I feel like I've also been the second person, and then the the dynamic is just something that is so humanly relatable. And then when you put it in sort of extraordinary circumstances, it just makes for a great film. So yeah, no, it's a great, great, great movie. Uh, What's your number seven? My number seven is A Quiet Place. A movie uh, kind of like Mission Impossible Fallout, which is one that uh, I think has a lot of story problems, but is was such a great experience seeing in a theater and is such a is so good at doing what it's trying to do uh, in terms of creating an experience for the audience that that overwhelms any story narrative problems that I have with it. I think I think that movie really uh, to, to 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 borrow phrases from other podcasts that movie fucks. 
That movie fucks hard. What podcast <laughs> said the movie fucks? Uh, that would be Blank Chick Podcast, the uh, Downtown Griffin Newman's uh, oh, voices. That, um, but yeah, no, that movie. You got to quote. You got to <laughs> quote w- quotes like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That movie fucks. Okay. Yeah, I love it. All right, <laughs> you're number seven. <laughs> oh, well, what do you what do you what do you think of a quiet place? Uh, it 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 consensually makes love. Yeah. Um. I liked A Quiet Place a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like <laughs> this is the shitty part about it. The film itself is designed for movie theaters in pristine environments. Yeah. If you have one shitty person in your theater. I think I think a shitty person in your theater is going to make the movie more fun. I disagree. Be- because I think I think like everyone's going to turn on that person. And I think everyone's going to have that experience, which is like, you need to shut the fuck but up right now. But it takes away from the film. Uh, I, but it's not the film's fault. It's yeah. people's fault. Right. Uh, I did like A Quiet Place very much. Um, I'm glad to see John Krasinski sort of like doing what he wants to do. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I liked it a lot. It was good. Sequel coming next year. I don't know if I need to see a sequel. A but... quieter place. Yeah, yeah. Even quieter. Uh, a loud place. <laughs> my number seven yep. is probably at least the vocal antithesis of A Quiet Place. Mm. Do you want to take a guess what that means? What's the loudest film on our list? Uh, is it The Ballad of Buster Scruggs? No. no a Star is Born. A Star is Born. I'm on the divan, <laughs> watch as I die That movie... Look, we said it in our podcast before, but it's like... A really good song that a cover is done by it, and you're like, "Fuck, this cover's better than the original." Like, right. it just—it's the—it's not a new story. Nothing in it will surprise you. Yeah. Uh, but you will be in it, and you will be like for it the entire time you're watching. It. You know what surprised me in that film was that how how seriously they dealt with the relationship between Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Yeah. I, I, and I and how legitimately they kind of made Bradley Cooper's downfall seem tragic and heartfelt. And I think there was a sincerity with which they dealt with the characters in that film that really that really really did work. I and I I I would I would posit though I haven't seen I haven't seen one of them and I haven't seen the other two in the Star is Born quadrilladruple. Oh, the other the other Uh, but I can't remember a moment that felt as real as their relationship in the downfall as it did in this film. I think they went harder on it and I think that's uh Yeah. That's what did it for me. So moving on, well, now we have do, a listener, yeah. right? Uh, who is going to chime in? We're going to hear what Jacob has to say. Jacob is the person who did email me at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> All right. Well, we got it under the wire. Yeah. Let's hear it, Jacob. Hey, guys. It's Jacob calling in with my top 10 movies of 2018. Pretty standard throughout with a couple selections that are a little out of left field. Uh, number 10, 8th grade. Number 9, The Favorite. Number 8, Tyrell. Number seven, Let the Corpses Tan. Number six, Lean on Pete. Number five, Cold War. Number four, If Beale Street Could Talk. Number three, Burning. Number two, Mid-90s. And my favorite movie from last year was Blind Spotting. Uh, number seven and eight, Let the Corpses Tan and Tyrell are the strange picks of the bunch, but uh, I highly recommend both of them. They're just wonderful, wonderful films. Uh, so yeah, I can't wait to hear what you guys have on your lists, and uh, looking forward to 2019. Talk to you guys later. Bye. 
Jacob, thank you so much for your list. I Thanks, always, Jacob. I always enjoy Jacob's commentary. Uh, Jacob messages us on Twitter all the time. Uh, and uh, the thing I really, I, you know, I've said this every year about Jacob, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Jacob goes to see movies that we don't uh, mm-hmm. and, and fills us in on a lot of things that we haven't seen. Let so, the corpses tan. Yeah. That's, that's the most fucking metal title of a I, film. I have, I've heard of that film. Uh, I've heard through, I haven't heard of Tyrell, which is the other one he mentioned uh, that was sort of uh, left field. Uh, but Let the Corpses Tan, I have heard. I haven't heard it like on a top 10 list this year, but I have read about it. Um, the He did mention a film that I wish we'd seen and actually reminded me of another film that I wish we'd seen as well. But uh, And this was the two horse movies of the year. Uh, but Lean on Pete and The Rider. Uh, I am very excited to see Lean on Pete. That was directed by Andrew Hay, who directed 45 Years, I believe, and Weekend. Um, uh, Lean on Pete is a horse movie directed by Andrew Hay. H A I G H, I believe is how it, it is. Doesn't I, I actually I should double check that because I'm I'm doing that off the top of my dome. Um, Lean on Pete, double check director was is it Andrew Hay? Is it yes? And I spelled it correctly too. There you go. H A I G H. Look at you. I know. Just uh, just using the old memory. Did you did you teach film school? Uh, I don't think that would have to do with teaching films. <laughs> I think that has to do with OCD. Um, I think one would argue that they could both be intertwined. They could be intertwined, but I don't think they're related. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, but then the other film he mentioned, which I just saw recently, was Burning, the Lee Chang Dong film. B- Lee Chang Dong is one of my favorite all-time filmmakers. I just saw Burning. Um, I'm not sure I absolutely loved Burning, but I think I went in with very, very high expectations, for one. And B, it's also another one of those anti-narrative films that does things that you don't expect it to do. And uh, for me, Burning, requ- I think, is going to require a couple more viewings to come, uh, to, to really absorb. Uh, but I'm glad I actually... That's the first Lee Chang Dong film I've ever seen in a movie theater and he also obviously blind spotting movie we both yeah. regretted we missed yeah um so yeah yeah thank you jacob yeah thank for... you jacob i love jacob's lists yeah they're they give me they're like oh yeah i gotta i, I gotta, gotta do I gotta, this better i gotta i gotta be better at this job <laughs> <laughs> all right what are we up to we're on to... number six you're number six my number six is the ballad of buster scruggs all right yeah uh, okay. netflix film uh netflix anthology film by uh the cohen brothers uh a unique experience which the more i have thought about it, i did see it twice the more i thought about it I, I see it as a singular experience kind of like a, a set of singular stories from the old west uh each almost in 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 opposition to each other but okay. all kind of telling similar stories or all telling a story about I think I said this on the podcast this sort of worldview about both the Coens that both the Coens have and the Wild West has which is that it's both nihilistic and um, fatalistic which means uh, it is uh, uh, predetermined and predestined uh, and also nothing matters but that's what's wonderful and beautiful about it yeah <laughs> you know I was just going through I have a notebook yeah. that I write all of our, our mm. during our show notes yeah. in. And I was trying to find the Buster Scruggs. Mm. Uh, here we go. Uh, the, the when I tried to tie them all together mm-hmm. uh, because we were trying to find the common theme. Yeah, uh, you'll be replaced when you least expect it, mm. but by a lesser thing. But the universe doesn't care, and there's no easy explanation. But death is the only thing that we can have agency over, How because have- life is an uncertain place. Yeah, yeah. How do you have agency over death? Uh, I forget exactly <laughs> how, but there was, I think that was the fifth one. Uh, anyway, go back and listen to the Ballad of Buster Scruggs episode. That was a fun exercise to try to figure that shit out. I love that film. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, it's just extraordinary. I, I don't know how the Coens do it, to be honest with you. I, I, don't, I don't know how it is they're that good. 
at everything they do. Um, even their films that I, you know, like um, Burn After Reading, which is a film I, I don't love, I think is extraordinary. Two words, chaos magic. Um, <laughs> but enough about that. You're number five? Are no, number six, number six. That oh. was your number six. Did you do your number five? Wait, hang on. I'm just going back over your list. That that was my number six. Yeah, now I do my number six. You've been going first, and then I go. Oh, sorry. I've just numbered yours wrong. That's sorry. okay. Yeah. Uh, my number six, I'm bucking the numerical trend, you hear? Yep. Uh, so it's a number film. I'm guessing it's eighth grade. Eighth grade! Eighth grade. Oh, God. That film, that film got me not only all in the feels, but just in general, uh, the... I'm a sucker for any movie that can uh, portray an experience that is so relatable, even if you yourself have only experienced like 20% of it, if that makes sense. And by that, I mean I've been in eighth grade. I remember things, but I haven't been uh, a young woman in eighth grade. I haven't been in eighth grade in 2018. Uh, You know, like there's a lot of different things that I haven't, but I felt that this film just did such an amazing job through direction, acting, et cetera, of, of making you feel like uh, you were with this girl on her journey. And uh, again, another another sort of social commentary on, uh, A, how kids are growing up these days with social media. And again, I go back to the the Fire Festival documentaries about the, the influence of social media that it can have when you really, and the 2016 election, uh, but the, when, when it goes off the rails. But this is sort of like the... If those are the macro of the problems, there's a lot of the micro of the problems here and uh and how people can possibly overcome it. Yeah. Uh it was it was it was moving and it was and it was powerful and I thoroughly enjoyed it. One of the best uh, directorial debuts in a while from Bo Burnham. Um yeah, no and it has uh, you know again the scene where she goes out to the swimming pool, I think is one of the best shot uh, moments I think I've seen in a film this year. So no, uh, terrific choice. Uh, would you like to hear my number five? Yes, please. My number five is a film I'm expecting to see on your list at some point. Okay. Into the... Spider-verse. Spider-verse. Uh, again, uh, very often I won't have superhero films on my top ten, but the, uh, so in all the years we've been doing this, this would be the second one, uh, that's appeared on that What list. was your other one? Logan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason is, it, I mean, there's lots of reasons within the film. I think it's an extraordinary film. It's a, it's so delightful, so, so effortlessly charming. It does so much important work in terms of reconfiguring who, who we think about uh, Spider-Man can possibly be. The idea that it could be anyone. Uh, but the thing that I, the reason I love it so much is that, um, is that my my son and I watch the music video for Into the Spider-Verse a lot um, because it's, oh, just, yeah. it's just a bunch of scenes taken uh, from the film. With it's very te- good. Uh, with, with text kind of played over it. And the thing that I love about it is my son watches it and goes, Spider-Man is my, well, he doesn't say Miles Morales, but he goes, it's that kid. And then and then later on, while we're watching it, he goes, Spider-Girl, Spider-Man is also that girl. And and he kind of realized that Spider, you know, like his first impression of Spider-Man is not Peter Parker, is not a singular version, it's mm-hmm. not a person that doesn't look like him. It's a multitude of people, and 
and I think like to to realize that that is his first impression of Spider-Man, uh, I think is really powerful for me. Um, and uh, for for th- but th- that's just outside of what you know outside the film and what it's doing. It's a great, wonderful time in the movies. Yeah, um, a jammed, packed action, you know, to the brim, funny. Uh, exciting, you know, changes our idea, conception of Spider-Man, uh, heartfelt, yeah, all of the things that I think superhero movies uh, uh, want to be. I uh, I will say uh, this is an apology uh, to our listenership. Uh, my quote for uh, our Into the Spider Verse episode, yes, uh, yes, was, was a super spoiler. Was a super spoiler, and I have been looking for the right time to apologize for that. And I'm sorry, I didn't realize it until I believe Stephen, a friend of the show, pointed it out. Yeah, and I was just like, oh shit. Yeah. Uh, so apologies for that, but Spider Verse was a magical, uh, a magical time in the theater. I 100 percent agree. Yeah. Uh, your number five. My number five uh, is going with your trends for the year. Oh, the anti-narrative film? No. No, not no, the B films? The B films. Oh, wait, wait, okay, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Uh, let me just think. Uh, B films that we did. Is it, is it the Battle of Buster Scruggs? No. It's a, If Beale Street Could Talk. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I gushed. I mean, we both gushed over this movie a yeah. lot, uh, though. I think I gushed a little more. I think you I think were you a little bit yeah. tainted uh, by, uh, not tainted, you were affected by your reading of the novel prior. Um, I will say this. I've watched the trailer to that film since then, and the trailer makes me weep. Yeah. You know, the trailer makes me gush. Yeah. Uh, really. But the movie did. Not... I had a lump in my throat during the movie, okay. but I, I think I, rem- you know, like the, you, when you think back on movies, do you remember the problems or do you remember the good times? And I think I remember the problems more, but I think it was because I was wrestling with that film more than I, sure. than I would be. Yeah, uh, it, It's modern mythology. I've said it a bunch of different times. I think that's the best way to put it. Uh, every performance is a uh, uh, friggin' GG delight. Uh, Kiki Lane, mm-hmm. Stephen James, all every, just, uh, God. Regina King. Regina King. Like, Nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. The, it, uh, I don't know. That's, again, if we're talking about movies that I thought about a bunch after the fact, in, like, positive, good ways, this one's right up there, uh, middle in middle of my pack. Uh, it, it, it does something that I felt... No, you know, that's not... I was gonna, I was gonna start making, like, um... Like uh, an analogy to the effectiveness of the message of, say, something like Black Klansman. Okay. Um, but it's, That was another B movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, it is a completely different approach to talking about systemic uh, racism and how it affects people. And so uh, I think, th- personally, for whatever it's worth, this style of film, if Beale Street could talk, is a much more effective way to tell a, a narrative than Black Klansman, mm-hmm. though they both have their, their, their places. Um, I just found uh, where I didn't really think about Black Klansman again after the fact. This one, I kept going back to the the story of these two people that, that uh, fucking life dealt uh, a few beautiful cards to, but overall very shitty hand due to the systems that are in place. And um, yeah, it was just it was a fantastic. Um, it was a it was an emotional time at the theater, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed experiencing it. Yeah. Uh, now, for before we jump into our number four, we've got one more listener who's going to chime in. Well, we got yeah, we got the next listener who's going to chime in. Oh, okay, What's Josh. <laughs> Josh, who uh, who's uh, now this is an interesting story. Josh's brother uh, Zach, who is a listener from the UK, put Josh onto us, ah. or put 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 
yeah, put Josh onto us. And then I've now been following Josh because Josh runs a Twitter account called Film Qualia, huh. uh, which is superb. And he started releasing video essays, uh, I believe one on Polish cinema and one recently, which I, I, I haven't watched this one, but I, I, I think I contributed to by uh, giving him a suggestion for a film. And that is the history of phone calls in horror movies. Okay. You know, and if you think about the most popular one, you've got Scream. Hello, Sydney. Yeah. Is that Scream? Yeah. That is Scream, yeah. And I gave it's him... It's the most popular one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just couldn't remember her name uh, uh, in the in the call. Hello, uh, Drew. <laughs> yeah, Drew. That's who I would have thought. <laughs> um, uh, if, you, if you're a listener of this show, you must check out Film Qualia on YouTube, uh, which is a fantastic, um, fantastic uh, YouTube channel. And Josh uh, is, got, uh, is a very, very well-watched uh, film goer, so I will say that. But you watched him? That's creepy. He's a well-watched, as in he's watched Like you're watching him a lot. Yeah, I watch him all the time. Okay. Pretty much. Well, I'm going to hear him. There you go. Okay. Hi, this is Josh from Film Qualia with my top 10 of 2018. These are in no particular order, although the top four are probably my favorites. Um, At number 10, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Number nine, American Animals. Number eight, You Were Never Really Here. Seven, Roma. Six, Madeline's Madeline, which was amazing and more people need to watch that movie. Some of the best performances of the year are in there. Number five, The Favourite. Number four, Burning, another one which not many people have seen and that is terrific. There's so much going on in that movie. I need to watch it at least three or four more times to really understand it. So psychologically dense and thematically just... It's it's amazing. Everyone needs to see Burning. Number three, Hereditary, which could easily be my number one as well. It's That film just rocked my world. Two, Cold War. And number one, I'm not sure it got released in the US, but we got it in the UK, so it's my number one. Climax, Gaspar Noé's best movie by a million miles. Just so much fun. It's like Possession, if it was a musical. I enjoyed it from beginning to end cracking film and a great year for movies looking forward to hearing everyone else's top picks ah film quality who i believe goes to the same school of uh list ordering that i do which is that it's entirely arbitrary well no actually he goes to a partial he took he took some uh daytime classes with you but he didn't take the full semester because if you listen to what he said about hereditary he said it could have easily been his number one i think that's all i was saying but but it wasn't what i'm saying is (laughs) if we want to get real technical with how he spoke this and he can write us in josh write us in and tell me if you think i'm off which is totally fine if that's the case he said that all of his films up to his top four could have been in any order and and, and that he did say that that one could have easily been somewhere else, but he didn't put it there. Mm. So there you go. Okay, for what it's worth. Um, uh, the only there's a couple of films on, on his list that I haven't seen. Uh, American Animals I haven't seen, but I've heard very very good things about uh, the heist film, the the college high school film, uh, heist film, um, and Madeline's Madeline, which I've heard very I've heard very mixed reviews on. The people Madeline's Madeline is one that the people who love it will tell you all about how great it is, and the images I've seen from it are beautiful and extraordinary. Sure, um, but uh, the people who don't like it really don't like it. Um, 
again, another fan of burning, uh, which I feel like we should do because I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of meat on them bones, and I, it would just give me a good opportunity to talk about Li Chang Dong um, and climax. To describe climax as a position, if it was a musical, uh, I'm I'm there. I'm a big fan of Gaspar Noé, even though uh, I think I emailed this to Josh last night. He's made some of the most difficult and repugnant images I've ever seen in my life. No way. Uh, uh, yeah. I see what I did. What's that? Never mind. What do you mean? No way. Oh no. Oh no way. <laughs> no way. Yeah, I, I see what you did there. Um, climax. I don't know if that'll get a release here. Uh, to be honest with you, Gaspar Noé is. Um, we can get uh, it though. We uh, we should be able. To, I mean, like Love, for example, uh, his last film is is on Netflix, and Love opens with a fairly graphic sex scene. Um, and I'm sure that'll be one of the reasons why his films. Are, although I did see into the, um, uh, oh, what was his film called? Into the, oh, it's the, his druggy trip. Movie. Void? Into the void. Yeah, into the void. Yeah. Uh, I saw Into the Void in the movie theaters here. So, uh, hopefully we do get climax here. Uh, yeah, no, good list. Uh, anything from there that you want to, uh, no, you covered it, man. I think it was a, I would think it was a solid, solid list. And actually, uh, Josh, great voice, by the way. I'm gonna, I want to check out these video essays now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also, uh, we have sent an open invite to Josh to. Oh come yeah, on come the on the show. Uh, he th he believes he wants to talk about Polish or Czech, uh, Czech cinema or Mike Lee. I would love to pick his brain about Polish cinema. Uh, because well, we're gonna be doing some Polish cinema very soon. Yeah, I know. The but the uh, the. Just because I, I I've said this on the podcast before, I don't really have a um, uh, a lineage I would say I identify with, but biologically, oh, you're Polish. I, I am Polish. Oh, um, so uh, while I've never really, other than like the history of Poland, I have not gotten into Polish cinema. So, so I, would I think be... that's a good good choice. I was going to suggest if we did uh, Czech cinema, we would do Jan Svankmaier, who's a, a favorite of mine. But we are going to be doing uh, Cold War yep. in the in in a couple of weeks. So um, we will be delving into some Polish cinema. And I've been learning a lot about Polish history, even through the work on Extra History on YouTube. YouTube. Oh, uh, it's great. been it's been fascinating. So yeah. Okay. Um, all right, your number four. My number four, four, four. Let me pull it up here. I know it should be memorized in my head because it was one of the most. Uh, again, next to a quiet place, just a great time at the theater, despite me being one of the only people in the theater. So not a very that's the watched, best. Not a very uh, watched movie, but my number four is uh, the Death of Stalin. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I that was a, what that was the beginning of the year. It was almost a, almost at the very very beginning of the year. Uh, a movie that I just absolutely I, I think is one of the funniest things I've ever seen about one of the most difficult topics I've ever seen. And I think that's uh, that's an extraordinary um, uh, ability to to turn history into a comedy, uh, but for, for for the right reasons. I think you know. Again, I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, harp on about Green Book because uh, you know, like yes, we, you we've do. already we've already had the conversation about Green Book. But when I think about movies this year that take history and have an incredibly talented hand retelling history in sort of an interesting way and has something to say in the retelling, uh, Amanda Onucci's uh, The Death of Stalin is a really good example of that. This is a, of course, the retelling of uh, the you know as the title says, the death of Stalin and the and the and the power vacuum left behind in the death of Stalin, and you know all told in English by a variety of actors from different um, from different uh, ethnic backgrounds, um, and somehow making it all seemingly gel together effortlessly with you know at a cracking pace, um, uh, and and still manages to 
give you all of the the horrors of the power vacuum that was left behind by the death of Stalin. And also, in a final point, I guess this is why it's number four on my list, because I can just keep talking about it, um, <laughs> is directly relatable to the world we live in today. You know, it is a it, it, whether it wants to be or not is directly tied to the world we live in today. And you can see the 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 way power plays are done and the reason that they're done um, uh, playing out in the in the politics of the of the world we occupy in today. So just uh, uh, all around, I can't say enough about this movie or how great it is. Yeah, it uh it was definitely effective. I believe um, we got into a conversation and and listeners, you can go back and check out our uh, the Death of Stalin podcast. Uh, still our uh one of our one of our uh overhead images on uh either soundcloud or facebook oh yeah uh because it's just it was one of my favorite things uh, yeah. <laughs> in there um but you know it brings up like you know we talked about this a little bit in art versus artist too it's a different issue with it but at the same time you know what is okay to joke about and uh i uh, i pause it Anything is okay to joke about if you are good enough at doing it. Yeah. And this is a film that takes something that is so problematic and so horrifying mm. and literally says, hold my beer, yeah. and, like, nails it. Yeah, I think I think to me, I, I, I 100% agree with you. Anything is open to, to, to jokes, uh, to being made fun of. Uh, the, the, the only line there is how skilled you are at telling yes, jokes. Yes. Uh, and if, oftentimes mm. folks who say that phrase that we both just said mm. uh are and then go on to do a joke that is really harsh subject matter yeah. based uh aren't skilled enough to do it. Uh and and this is a case where I think that the the filmmaker and and the cast and the crew was. Yeah. Uh now granted there's a there's you know you could you could go down the moral rabbit hole of that too but that's just sort of where I stand. I enjoyed the film very much. Yeah. Uh, you're number four. Uh, it's the exact same thing. Uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Right, right. <laughs> is my number four. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, this is a magical film. Uh, I'm psyched for kids growing up like your son uh, and and all the other. Uh, all the children of the world that yeah. get to see this as their first Spider-Man thing because I remember, I mean, my my first Spider-Man experience was cartoons, yeah. um, but then I read the comics and then whatever, and it's like, this is a much more effective medium, especially for young kids yeah. to see. And uh, I, you know, I am a, spoiler alert, I'm a nerdy dude. Uh, I own three Spider-Man suits. Don't worry about it. Uh, the fact that Kids who are not, who don't look like me, mm. um, can now. Because you look like Spider Man. <laughs> well, because I look, I, I, I would say I'm, I, I don't look like Peter Parker. Peter Parker is much better looking than I am. Uh, but Peter Parker is a white cis dude. Mm. I am a white cis dude. Um, but now anyone can get the same feeling that I got when I first interacted with Spider Man and the Spider Man universe, and I think that is, um. Uh, you know, I'm getting a little bit clamped even talking about it. It's kind of uh, it's it's a gift. It's mm. like it's something that is incredibly special, and it was inspirational to me. And I'm glad that you know, the, rightfully so. This should be it should be able to be an inspiration for everybody. So um, 
Yeah, I just it was and the the animation was so fucking smart. Like mm-hmm. it's it's beyond amazing looking. It's just smart and clean and different looking and striking. Yeah. And uh I've watched a bunch of the sort of behind the scenes about what they did, how and like all this stuff and it's you go to YouTube and you can just deep dive into that. It's it's really really cool. Yeah. Uh yeah, I loved it to death. Now, before we move on to our top three, I made a side bit with you. I think maybe following our our widow's widow's episode, uh, where we where we we bet, bet a dollar, we bet a whole dollar. Now and I ch- lost, and now's your chance to redeem that whole. I dollar. don't think I'm gonna. I so here's here's the a blind bit of our top three. So I'm gonna write down on a piece of paper what I believe your top three is gonna be. I have a question though. Okay. Um, because we've now done our top seven. Yeah. Uh. Do, are we allowed to adjust our top threes? Have you adjusted your top three for me after reading mine? Because I have mine written on a post-it note under my keyboard. I, I did write it freehand. So I guess... We, so 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 is this your original list before I, do I have read... An, I have an original list, and I'm sure you have an original list. I do. List. Are we allowed to change it now? Why? Okay, wait, wait, I'm just asking. I, what's the consensus say? I, I don't know. I just I'm I'm ask, I'm literally asking because this is a rule being made. I'm happy to adjust my list. Okay, let's because right my list is wrong right now, and <laughs> as I'm sure maybe yours is a little bit wrong. Yeah. Originally <laughs> wrong. So if we want to make it interesting, well, should we just stick with the originals and see how wrong we were? Because maybe because this was yeah. The, I mean, that, I think that's fair. No, actually, that's yeah, that's better because I think then we're kind of because what this list is saying is what we think the other person likes, sure, right? Sure, sure, sure. And 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 we have and I bet you we're gonna get one out of three spot on. Yeah, uh, but I don't. I don't <laughs> think the rest are gonna work. <laughs> All right, so we're bidding a whole dollar here on a uh, on that that I can that I have now on in a, in a piece of paper. Okay. Uh, have predicted what Matt's top three. Same, are. same, same. Now here's the thing: is it going to be the dollar goes to the person who gets the most correct out of the three? Yeah, let's use a point system for the most correct. Right? Okay, and yeah. then, uh, but the, each number three, two, one isn't worth any more or less than the others. Or do you want? Oh, now we could get real fucking weird. What if the third place mm. is worth one point of correct? Well, there's only two of us. The second place is worth two points of correct, and the third place oh, right, is right. worth three points of correct. And if we get them wrong, it's minus points. Right. That way, because otherwise, I if it's just the same, it. no. Because if we don't overcomplicate it, we're both going to get one right. Then we're going to have to rip that dollar in half. Uh, I, mm, uh, sure. Uh, okay. All right. Let's okay. Go. Let's All right. Let's, let's go. go. That's let's the go. rules. All right. Top three. And uh, listeners, you could probably email us in at onlymoviepodcast <laughs> at gmail.com with what you thought our top three was going to be and whether you were surprised by these or not. Or tweet us at, at onlymoviepod on Twitter. I feel Twitter. like mine are pretty blatant. Ah, but let's I would have thought so. Go down the, I would have thought so, but, again, but apparently I'm wrong. Um, because uh, Okay, my number three. No surprises here. The favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've, we, it, Laura has talked about it. Uh, it has popped up on a number of top ten lists. Uh, it is, uh, it is an extraordinary piece of filmmaking, extraordinary craftsmanship in a story. Um, the, you know, again, one of my favorite films is The Talented Mr. Ripley, and I, and I think this might be, this might top that. Um, I think this is that, that, that friendship triangle that is inverted and turned around, uh, inverting everybody's moral compass. Um, uh, you know, Yagos Lanthimos is a filmmaker that I, I have always thought is extraordinarily talented, but never actually fully connected with um 
Except I did watch Killing of a Sacred Deer this year, which I loved as well. Mm. But I think this is his most accessible film. Um, just, yeah, I, I can't, I can't, I don't know what else to say about how good this movie it's is. It's a real good starter kit to his uh, his <laughs> backlog. No, I don't think it is. I think I think if you watch this and then went into his backlog, you'd probably get a little bit lost. I think this is the yes, Ed, this no. is the most popular film he has made. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, but okay, yes, I could totally see it. You're you're gonna you're gonna split heart. Yeah, you're either gonna fall in love with it and want more of it and more intense, more concentrated versions of it, or you're gonna be like, this is cool. Then what is this? Yeah. <laughs> so I, 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 okay. I don't think anyone's gonna go from the favorite to dog tooth and go, oh, that's a, I get it. <laughs> but sometimes you think of it like as, as doses, right? Like you can't you can't like. You can't get high. Just think about it from your point of view. If you re- if you oh, recommend, I'm, I'm in the other camp because yeah. But I, if you recommended someone the favorite and then said, uh, and then they said, I love this, and then said, should I watch the lobster? What are you going to say to them? It depends on the person, to be honest. But I mean, no, but what are you going to say to them? Like someone who loves depends who, on the person. Okay, someone who's never seen Yagos Lanthimos. Yep, loves the favorite. Says to you, the movie podcast guy, uh, should I see the lobster? What are you going to say to them? I say, yeah, but you might hate the ending. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because again, you can't. the The exercise of saying "What do you say to someone about this movie?" is irrelevant because people are all different. Like, no, no, I, okay, I, guess, I guess what I'm saying here is that someone has said to you, "I like this movie." It is a person I have no, I have no connection yeah. with. So I don't know their personality at all. This no. is a rando stranger on the rando street that stops street. me, and I'm wearing my They Live glasses. Oh, you're wearing an only podcast uh, about movies T-shirt, which and they say, do not I, exist. I really like the favorite. Uh, do, uh, I've heard he made some other movies. Uh, um, should I go see The Lobster? And I would say, what about The Favorite did you like? Right. And okay. then we'd get into a so, small but, but, but conversation. But I could a... not in good faith, if what you're reaching for is, I could not in good faith say, absolutely, go see his other stuff. You'll love it. Because, because it's not going to happen. But, and that's what I mean by saying it's not a good starter kit for Yagos Lanthimos. It, it is the ender kit, in but, my opinion. But it's also... It's like testing the waters. It's like seeing if you're going to like it and knowing, like, that's the thing. Like, you could take it from a negative perspective of, ah, no, this is the most accessible, so they're probably not going to like it. Or it might open up something inside of them that they didn't even know was existing. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, Favorite's a great movie. Okay, and your number three. My number three is Won't You Be... My neighbor. my neighbor. Ah, good choice. That, uh, was, that was a film I regretted not putting on my list. Uh, holy shit. That, I I don't think I've cried as much in a movie theater as I did when watching that movie. Uh, and I don't know if it's, um, again, it's obviously well-crafted and, and done uh, in, in the vein of who I believe Fred Rogers was. Um, but it's the film that I felt like this year was the film that was needed the most. Um, uh, you know, it was a documentary about Mr. Rogers, so obviously it's not going to, uh, per- per- like permeate the something like Spider-Verse, you know, like, or, you know, even the favorite or other uh, sort of Oscar, uh, non type things. Uh, but in 2018 was a rough year. And uh, here is a doc of a man who I don't know if we'll ever get someone ever like him again. And um, it was just, it helped sort of show what the best type of person could be. Right. Um, In a very hopeful and um, and non-cynical way. Right. And... Uh, I think it was a, a really a magical movie going experience. I loved it to death, and um, yeah, that, that's it. I mean, I would if if random person on the street said, 
should I go see Won't You Be My Neighbor? I would say absolutely. I got without into knowing, a fight without knowing them. Yeah, I got into a, a fight with uh, my father actually because he made like a Mister Rogers joke, and I was like, "No." What was the joke? What was what uh, you were offended by the joke? He, uh, he um. It was something because, like, again, people who are tertiarily connected with Mister Rogers or only know know him of, as the soft-spoken person who like loved kids, and you can turn that dark real quick, especially in 2018. And I forget what the, the my father made like an offhanded comment about something along those lines, and I was like, "You haven't seen the fucking movie. Right. <laughs> you don't know anything about Fred Rogers' life. Come back to me once you've seen it." Right. Um, and we got into a mini argument about that, but I don't think he's <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, uh, yeah, no, uh, I think I I liked the I liked Mr. Rogers more than I loved the documentary. I think is the only thing I would say about that. But it is it's an extraordinary story. I think the you know the story of uh, him and his assistant, or you know the postman, you yep. know like uh, sitting around the pool and dipping their feet in the pool in response to like segregation around pool uh, around waters and swimming pool. I, I think is just yeah, it's it's and it's, I yeah, that's beautiful. And I always forget literally the breadth of work that fucking man did. Like yeah. it's intense. And I've gone, uh, I've I've tried to get my son to watch Mr. Rogers. It's not not going that well. It's like, slow. Uh, but I love watching them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's been an interesting one for me. Uh, so far, I'm zero from three. Oh, I'm zero from three, too. Yeah, so okay. we're okay. Uh, Shahir, <laughs> your number two. My number two is Roma. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm guessing that you probably would have guessed that one, right? Uh, I don't want to reveal my stuff yet. Yeah. But I. Uh, that is... Uh, Look, Alphonse. Like, I feel. I feel like uh, basically, when you get to, to this stage of the list, you're just gushing the whole way through about just great cinema. And um, uh, Roma was just one of those experiences that was entirely transformative for me. Um, again, just from a technical point of view, talking about how I think he created one of the most immersive experiences in the cinema by using sound so effectively. I managed to see the film in uh, Dolby Atmos. Um, but the more I think about uh, I'm, I'm going to refer to her as Lebo, which is the person that he is uh, making the film about, uh, which is, his, you know, Alfonso Cuaron making a film about his nanny growing up. Um, the more I think about her story in this film, the, the, the happier it makes me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and uh, there's a, um, there is, uh, you know, there's a wonderful video of her, um, uh, of the actress uh, receiving her Oscar nomination. And it just made me smile from ear to ear. Um, Alfonso Cuaron is that rare breed of filmmaker who is, uh, technically the greatest filmmaker alive. Uh, in terms of his his technical ability, but also makes profoundly human stories that touch deeply. You know, like he's making personal cinema, um, and there's just not a lot of those kinds of people around, and they should be treasured and celebrated. And uh, I could easily see this winning uh, best picture. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love this. And film. That'd be a Netflix best picture. If yeah, that's yeah. The case. Uh, so yeah, I, I absolutely adore this film. Um, I've watched it twice now. I will watch it again many times over. Hey, you know what's odd about it is I don't think it's actually my favorite Alfonso Cuarón film, but uh, it's certainly one of my favorite films this year. Um, you know, just just so humanistic, uh, so so um, life affirming. Yeah, you know, I it, mean, it did take over the end of Netflix. Yeah. 
Which yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen another <laughs> film. I mean, if I was Netflix, I, I think they must have known this. I mean, oh, yeah. to, to get Alfonso Cuaron to do to make a film on Netflix, you know, again, uh, they they managed to get a, a few filmmakers. Paul Greengrass made a film on Netflix. The Coen Brothers made a film on Netflix. But to get you know Alfonso Cuaron basically doing the the other thing is, you never feel like Alfonso Cuaron is slumming it. You know, like he's not. That's the thing, yeah. though. That's and again, we go back to our trends. Netflix is no longer slumming it. Yes, yeah. you have some holdouts, but not that many. Who? Christopher Nolan? Like, who else has said they won't make a film for Netflix? Right. Yeah. I I can't think of any. Scorsese's been working on a film for Netflix for like two years. Right. Like, this is where it's going, whether yeah. you like it or not. So, like. I, I I don't think it. I mean, I think three years ago it yeah. would have been crazy. Yeah. But now, no. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So no. that's my uh, that's my number two film. Uh, Matt, your number two. My number two. Uh, I went back and forth. This was actually much lower on my list. Uh, previously, and then I not that I've adjusted since we started. I said last night when I was like playing with all of them, moving the tiles so you can around, move them around. Yeah, uh, minority reporting uh, yeah, yeah. all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I really wanted to lock this in. The more I thought about it and the reasons why it was above or below other films really clicked in for me. Uh, I would just have to say Wakanda Forever. Ah. Uh, Black Panther. Uh, again, early entry. Uh, not 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 thematically, but chronolo- uh, from a chronolo- chronological standpoint, uh, around the same time as Death of Stalin, yeah. uh, or beginning of the year. Yeah. Uh, Black Panther checked a million boxes. Um, for me, it was uh, obviously an important cultural event. It uh, again did a lot of sort of what Spider Verse did, but like, but not doing it in a in a in a way that, uh, while Spider Verse lets anyone know that anyone can be Spider Man, this is a particularly uh, an African hero. Like it's straight up through and through, uh, and that is uh, phenomenal in this very <laughs> homogenized <laughs> world that I that I admittedly love of superheroes, but like it was uh, a breath of fresh air. It did all of the tropes that I love, but with uh, a different culture, and 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 gave us a glimpse at what could have happened in history had colonialism not yeah. uh, destroyed everything. Right. <laughs> uh, and plus, it's got um, God the the action sequences, especially in the casino. I'm always a fan of the smaller action sequences in the superhero films. The big ones are spectacles, of course, but uh, that was always amazing. And it's it's amazing. Uh, Ryan Coogler did um, a breakdown of that scene and like the color dynamics, and yeah, you can you sort did of see the Vanity Fair. Yeah. Piece, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Uh, it's it was marvelous. I was I knew I'd like it, but I didn't know I'd love it as much as I did. Um, and I did hear there's a rumor now that sorry I'm going off into speculation, but that Killmonger might be returning. Yeah. Might be returning. I, ooh, I, How do you feel about that? I don't know. I, I, I it's an amazing character. And I, w- I would obviously love him to be in the film, but I don't know. It, it, again, that's a narrative question. We'd have to see how it does. Yeah. Um, I find in comic books when they have a powerful villain uh, emotionally resonant that is uh, killed and then they bring them back a year later, uh, I find the death of that villain, it cheapens sort of everything else. So maybe there's a way to get around it. I don't uh, know. I mean, maybe it's a you know like they did with uh, old Liam Neeson in The Dark Knight Rises. He pops up for a flashback and then and then disappears again. Oh yeah, 
yeah, you know, maybe that. Yep. Uh, I how do I feel about Black Panther? Um, I, you know, like I said at the time, there's no denying the cultural importance of a, of that film, you know, and and what it did, and 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 how it spoke to a generation and allowed an entire generation into that world. Um, I think you know, for me, and this is personal opinion, obviously, is I think the film is more of the same of what I've seen before, but I did like Killmonger as a villain. I think I think the film like really geared into place when when we found out what Killmonger wanted and what uh, you know what he stood for. He's one of those rare villains that that uh, has uh, an idea about the world that you could understand. Sure. Um, so I so I really did like that. Uh, and you know, whenever you see the, for example, the cast won the SAG Award recently. Yeah. Um, and uh, Chadwick Boseman's speech about you know the importance of being here. Uh, you know, you can't you, you can't deny that. I think you know just from a film thing, it's it's not quite my jam. But right, but, and that's that's totally understandable. Yeah. I I for all of that, as you sort of see that. I mean, just because it's not your jam, the style of it is not something that you are particularly a fan of. I, I will just you know just to counterpoint that though. Into the Spider-Verse is not necessarily my jam, but that was a film that I kind of really responded sure. to. Yeah. Um, the What I like about this and why I think it resonated so strongly with me is that it is all of the things that I like plus all yeah. of the stuff that I think elevates it. Yeah. Um, and that is why it's my number two. There you go. So now we got one more uh, one, listener. One more listener, number one. I yeah. think, And I've, I've heard this, so I'm, I'm going to guess that this person is completely in line with you. Oh, really? Uh, I could be wrong about that. I could be 100% wrong about that. All right, Jonathan the Blade. Here's the Blade. Let's do it. Hello, Matt and Shahir. This is Jonathan Blade, and my film of the year is Infinity War. So I know that Shahir won't be fully on board with the metric that I'm using because Infinity War reaches its heights on the shoulders of other films. By itself, it isn't even the best comic book film this year, but Infinity War doesn't stand alone. It is the penultimate fulfillment of a corporate promise of quality, continuity and consistency, and to achieve the wonders of well-paced epic spectacle, coherent thread weaving, and to create a convincing three-dimensional antagonist? <laughs> Look, this is not what compels me to watch film, but it is what compels me to watch film in the theater. The MCU is opulent TV, and I still love it. Gentlemen, thank you for the good work that you do. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan Blade, for the good work that you do. Woo! Oh, yeah, that was that was loud. Ow! I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. I think you should go with your number one. I before. mean, it's Infinity War. It's, it's fucking Infinity War. How could it not be Infinity War? Everything Jonathan just said, a hundred percent. Right. Uh, however, no, you know what? I'll go ninety-nine percent. The one caveat that now, all of the positives he said, hundred percent. Hmm. But the one caveat I gave it, even when we saw it, is the reason it's so good is they haven't had to stick the landing yet. Well, it right. is at this point the penultimate thing, that promise that he describes that I am so inv – I've watched Infinity War 20 times. 20. Probably. I've this, granted, this might be why you haven't seen some of the other films that we No, but a lot of times I have it on in the background or if I'm doing something. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like I've right. watched it actively maybe like six or seven. I But in, yeah. Um. I, I, I rewatched it. I am so in love with not only the story that it's telling, the, the Thanos arc, everything, but just the sheer if like I could nerd out about it on the comic book level, but I can nerd out about it on the film craft and and actually the, honestly the producerial level. Mm. Because it is a thing that has never been done. 
Yeah. Um, it's been proven in my other stuff that so far no one else has been able to do it. Yeah. Uh, of course, someone eventually will, but at this point, they have what, 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 uh, having a connective cinematic universe of of a consistent quality, as Jonathan said, uh, an engagement. If that is your jam, okay. Um, and and to do it with things that are both uh, films that are both formulaic, but then some that sort of buck the trends, and then also just wrapping them all up in this one thing. It's just never been done, and every time I see it, I notice something new, and I um, I could honestly discuss it forever. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, this was a surprise to no one. I'm sure that's, <laughs> that was on your list uh, for my number one. Uh, but we'll see. So Shahir, this is something that I'm very curious about. Uh, have you have you have you figured out what my number one is? So, I, I, kind of. Okay. Uh, and I, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think. Well, we'll we'll get into it. We'll get into it. But what is your number one film of 2018? My number one film of 2018 is Hereditary. Okay, didn't get it. <laughs> okay, my uh, I Hereditary, I think. I don't know how to describe seeing it in the movie theater, but so this is the, this is the point where it becomes personal as opposed to as seemingly trying to be objective as we as we try to do sometimes sure. on this podcast. But there are certain film film narratives that connect with me personally, um, and I think I, I tend to lead lean on. I tend to like films that challenge your worldview um, in unconventional ways and. This is a hereditary, uh, you know, Ariasta's debut film is a film that goes the distance in terms of proving that the world can be terrible. And, and, and I don't know what it is about that, but I find that so incredible that he was able to do that on his debut film with as much technical mastery and, and story mastery as he was able to do. Um, the, the, the thematic connection to the terror that is in this movie, uh, is unparalleled. And, uh, you know, I think it has one of the best performances of the year from Tony Collette as well. Um, it, it is, an ex it's just, I, you know, uh, again, I expect the, the kind of craft, the, the level of work from Alfonso Cuaron. I expect that level of work from Yagos Lanthimos, uh, I to to get this from a first time filmmaker, and I think from the pro producerial point of view that you were kind of mentioning, I, I think to give the filmmaker the 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 tools that they need in order to craft this story that is not going to make people happy <laughs> uh, is, is is something that I think is extraordinary. You know, yeah. like it is it is sort of an example of of you know like like even the metaphor in this film which is you know Tony Collette making these miniature dolls and then there's a miniature doll in the film and that sort of reflects the house and the house is actually built as well which reflects this as like structured family in these in these divided spaces you know that all that stuff is like the kind of thing i can see if you don't have faith in your filmmaker you know being like uh, couldn't we just shoot this in a house we could find kind of thing yeah. you know and it's not it's you know A24 who produced this film just go you know gives him everything he needs in order to tell the most compelling story he can with a multitude of layers. Yeah. Um, it's so profoundly beautiful and terrifying and disturbing, and it does what horror films, I think, can and should do. Uh, so for me, Hereditary is number one with a bullet. Uh, I, I definitely loved Hereditary, and I loved the way that it's um, proved that the scariest things in a horror movie don't have to be the supernatural stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a great film. Uh, I, I, I think the only 
The only issue I think I ever had with it was from a structural standpoint. I think around the 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 final third, the final act gets a little bit like things are going real quick and explanations stop happening. But I, that's obviously not the point. Mm. Um, but and that's I, and I would be remiss to blame Hereditary to have that as an issue because all supernatural horror has that issue. Um, in my opinion, so it's not something. Whatever it elevates the the form uh, without question, and uh, yeah, it was a great movie. Yeah. So, uh, how did we do on our top so, three? What What did you pick as my top three? So your top three is I had it. Yeah. Weirdly enough, and I don't know why. And I, I going back, I, I I probably need to re-listen to our episode on this. I had your number three as Black Klansman. Okay. Uh, then I had your number two at Leave No Trace. Oh. That was a, that was a film I, I I felt bad about leaving off my list. And that number one was Roma. Ah, so you got I got none of them correct. I only got one on the board. We we tied. No no no, we didn't. So what did you say? Uh, well, maybe we did. No, we did tie because my number three for you was the favorite, okay. which did appear on your list. Yep. All, all of mine appeared on your list. Okay. Uh, the favorite. My number two for you was Avengers: Infinity War, and my number one for you was Spider Verse. Ah. I, I would honestly give it to you. Because yours are at least on two of these aren't even on your list. Three. What, what was it? Roma. No trace. Roma. So Roma, Roma was, was the number one, even though it was your number two. Yeah. I would honestly give this bet to you. We both didn't do great, no, but if we're do going great. down the list of how sort of whatever, I will. Well, I, no, how does your co- scoring system work? Because uh, not, none of us would have technically scored. Oh right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we should have put in different things like if it's on the list, if it's whatever, but we didn't. Right. Uh, so I will give you one. Crisp, <laughs> one crisp American. Wait, no, no, don't you owe me another hair. one for? Uh... I gave you that one. No, you didn't. I a hundred percent did. I, I, I think I did it on the podcast. The next one. Oh man, you know this is exactly an example of 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 your memory because we should go back and listen to that. Go back episode. and listen to. It. I don't. I don't believe I got that dollar from you. I because do. I believe I I I would have just said don't worry about it, and I don't believe you even offered it. But this is the first time you offered it. You should go I, back. I'll and... give you another dollar just no, no, so no. we can put I, it to I bed. Don't, I don't want your dollars. I, we, Two dollars. I, I think this should be a running tab between us that we can just. Then you can save those dollars and give them back to me if I, I ever get one right. Yeah, yeah. Uh... <laughs> Two thousand eighteen. A very uh, in the in the in the words of uh, uh, Ridley Scott's film, a very good year. Yeah, and a very expensive one for me personally. <laughs> I just lost two dollars. Two whole dollars. Uh, anywho, this has been the only podcast about our 2018 top 10 films of 2018. And if you, uh, have some more, uh, uh, contributions, if you want to debate us, if you want to come at us, bruh, uh, hit us up at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at onlymoviepod. You can also leave us all of the stars, all of the stars. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's not how that song goes. No, I, I didn't. That wasn't the Black Panther song. I was being revenant from Resident Evil because when he's chasing the military people named Stars, Resident Evil Two just had a remake. I know, drop. I know, but that does, was that related to the conversation we were just having. No, but they, he goes <laughs> so, so... Stars. <laughs> My brain is a is a is a a, a, a herd of cats. Just yeah, let it happen. Just running in every uh, direction. Please give us all the stars on <laughs> iTunes uh, whenever you have a free moment. Uh, yeah, and uh, I, I guess we're gonna we're gonna resume our normal programming from next week. Uh, a couple of films. I'm gonna be out of town, but we're still recording a couple of episodes in advance of that. Yep. Um, but uh, we might yeah. even try to irk in Ekin, Ekin, uh, an Oscars thing while you're gone. Though I'm not sure. No promises. No promises. It'll be a. It'll be. There. I'm sure we'll have some hot takes on the Oscars hot at takes. some point. Yeah. 
Uh, we'll see. I, I guess at this point, in terms of if you want to try and win those dollars back, uh, we've got uh, a horse in Best Picture now, right? Like you've got Black Panther yep. uh, in Best Picture, and I've got Roma. So, uh, so, but but we can't like if both of them don't win. If if fucking Bohemian no, Rhapsody wins, oh my god. Okay, 2018 will officially have been the worst timeline if Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, that's... or I mean, I can I can see Green Book winning. Oh yeah, I can hundred percent. I, I can see that winning. It's but, it's chemically man made to win. But uh, if Bohemian Rhapsody wins, we are officially in the. The worst timeline. What was it? What, what, what? Green Book is Deflate Gate for the Oscars. Right, right. And Bohemian Rhapsody is what? Uh, just a crash. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's not crash into 2019, even though it's already February. Matt, I guess we'll see you soon. Where, yeah. where can people find you when you are not uh, herding cats uh, in your brain? Uh, meow, 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 meow at MatthewKroll.com. That's M-A-T-G-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, check out all of the wonderful work the Extra Credits crew and myself do at Extra Credits on YouTube. Shahir! <laughs> When you are not winning all of my coffee money, <laughs> where can folks find you? I don't know if you can get coffee that cheap, but uh, you can. You find don't know me. where I get coffee. <laughs> uh, you can find me on my website www.shahirdow.com. Go there, write meow, and you will find a lot of content <laughs> about stuff I do. Uh, yeah, this is uh, okay. I guess two thousand. The, the top ten rounds out the year, right? Yeah, now we're starting a fresh. We rounded out the year, recording this on February first. Yeah. We're kind of, it's tax year, right? Like we we yeah. go by tax. Year. Yeah, we go by tax. Ooh, that's we gotta add that to the rules. Yeah, yeah, tax years. All right, man. All right. We'll see you soon. Later. Bye.